welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys, Rowett and Todd, to talk about the French Grand Prix, Grand Prix. Grand Prix or Grand Prix? How do you guys pronounce that anyway? Grand Prix. <laughs> Not that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of alternate between Grand Prix and Grand Prix. I think I do Grand too. Prix. Must be an American thing. Like I said, I feel the mustache has brought that out on me, so I may be pronouncing things a little bit overly formalized, if that's even a word. But hey, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, I'm just uh, really honored to be joined by the the director of Bro- or the leader of Broken Lizard. Yeah. Jay Tonight, Tendershaker. Uh, I can't remember his name. This joke. There you go. I got you. This is why I'm here. There you go. I knew Rowe would have me. Yeah. I've got Arcot Ramathorn here. I've got Rod Farva in the middle and Todd Yates. And I've got the chief, Nick Engel. How's it going, guys? Shenanigans. Good. Good. Yeah, I was going to yep. say, are you ready for our goofy shenanigans? Already, because... already laughing. Yeah. Yep. Let's just start over. This got awkward real quick, and it's because of the mustache, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Usually well, I embrace the awkwardness. Well, what do we want to talk about first? Let's just let's just jump right into it. Okay, fair enough. Let's do this. There was a call for reviews that the Chief had put out, and lo and behold, we not only have one, we have two. So I'm going to read the earlier review, which is from MLP, noted distinguished member of our Discord, which just said, Open my eyes. I never knew anything about Formula One or even watched it prior to listening to the Exhaust Notes podcast. Their podcast opened my eyes to a sport that I previously only knew as driving fast through a track. From the garage, I've learned all about the car's strategy and even the off-track drama. Exhaust Notes breaks F1 down in a way that even a novice fan can enjoy. So thank you for that, MLP. We thank you for your support in the Discord, for sneaker history, for crown and stretch. You're a true mensch, as they say. And please keep these reviews coming. We actually have one for next week as well, so I'm happy. Thanks, MLP. Appreciate you. Definitely. It's, uh, it's, a, it's quite the review to live up to, though. I don't know if it depends on when people... Yeah, I made it sound way too professional. <laughs> right? I know. I'm thinking, uh, hopefully hopefully, people that read that review and listen don't listen to the last episode where we were just <laughs> off the rails for an hour and no, a half. That, but that was our In a good way. I stand I mean, by that episode. When we all get way. submitted to the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, it'll be because of that 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. If you haven't listened to the last episode, uh, we did a little mid-year recap. It was basically half half the show was, was mid-year recap. Some are our thoughts, favorite moments, etc. And the rest was hot takes from our, from our Discord community and our own hot takes. And uh, I think if you just look at the thumbnail for the episode, you'll get a you'll get an idea of just how hot the takes were. Well, segueing from those hot takes to a new hot take, I'd like to congratulate Max Verstappen on his 2022 World Drivers Championship because that pretty much wrapped it up this week. Holy shit, that dude is staying All right, It's inevitable. What... Like, there's no yeah. way. Because not only does Charles Leclerc have to get <laughs> first place in three races, he also makes sure also has to make sure Max doesn't even finish those races, and I don't think that's possible. Like, that's literally two mountains. And Charles Leclerc, love you, buddy. Kind of hate to see you mentally capitulate the way that you did, but 
if you're lucky, you get to be a speed bump to Max Verstappen's victory lap because this is looking dire. Yeah, I think I read a stat somewhere or heard it on one of the videos that if Max wins the next race, then he doesn't have to win another race for the rest of the season. He still has to place essentially behind Charles, but the points differential won't be enough. If he wins the next race, he doesn't have to win another one and he'll still claim the driver's championship. That's pretty crazy. It didn't feel like that big of a gap even after last race, right? It, it It's pretty nuts to think, like, that's a wild point swing. He got uh, another, what is it, 20, 26, 25, whatever, P1 points it, this week, so. Not only that, I know we kind of chide Max for being a bit of an asshole, but if he really wants to embrace the hate and become the villain, he needs to figure out what race does he have to stop racing at and then not race again and truly throw Charles Leclerc for a loop and be like, you know what? I'm so confident in my ability that I'm not going to race for the rest of the season. Bring up one of the kids from Formula 2 to take my spot. I've got this. <laughs> that would be crazy. I mean, it, it was it was kind of... I don't know. This, this weekend was kind of a bummer in the sense that, like, I really felt like, well, we'll get into the Ferrari conversation, but but Charles came out and admitted that he made the mistake. Who's to say if that's that's the truth or not, considering he kind of went back and was like talking about it afterwards. And that was speculation. My, that was going to be my question to you both, because you two definitely understand the technical side better than I do. Was that him trying to save face for his support staff or was that truly his fault? My my gut is that it was actually his fault, that he actually made the mistake, right? Because there's ways that you can you can, you know, take the heat off of your off of your team, but you know, Ferrari Ferrari is deserving of the heat right now. They they need to like fire everyone make better decisions as uh <laughs> as seen by Carlos Sainz's pit strategy. You're being you very think, kind to call it a strategy, Nick. Like, I know you're one of the nice guys, and I know I'm supposed to wait my <laughs> turn, but as the resident Ferrari fanboy, because I've crowned myself that, that was atrocious. I tend to be one that doesn't want to fire anybody because it's truly a hard thing to do to get a job in this economy, regardless where you are in the world. But every single one of them needs to be shown the door, because that was Absurd. Absurd. So absurd, I grew yeah. this absurd mustache to draw home the point how absurd it was. <laughs> so, so, two points here, I guess. The Ferrari strategy, I was in full agreement with Rohit. I was just like, I can't believe they did that. I was just like shook during the race. Like, what the hell are they doing? And then hearing Carlos at the end, it's like, Given how his tires were falling off, they projected to him to lose the place or, yeah, lose it to George for sure, Checo most likely, and then even Alonso. And the delta between that and the pit stop was negligible, so there was, like, upside there. That being said, everyone else was lasting longer on their mediums than 
than they had projected. So just let 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 him race. He was still in a fight. Uh, I mean, literally, the funny thing was he ignored the box call that first lap, and that's when he overtook Checo with that crazy move around the outside of uh, what is it, twelve or thirteen? That last before the hard right, before yep. the main straight. Um, it uh, that was just whatever. For this is nothing new though. Like we we talk about how bad Ferrari is strategy wise. This has been going on for years. They've screwed up probably at least a couple of big ones every season for the last I want to say three four years now. So maybe Rohit, you're right. They need to show them the door. The tacticians and the strategists need to find a new calling. Anyway. To back to the original question from the technical perspective of Charles's crash, it did in the moment sound like, oh, there's throttle. He talks about the throttle again. Maybe it was, you know, on higher than it should have been, whatever. Repeat of Austria. Um, but he immediately took fault for it after the race. And then watching it back, it looked like he just put his left. I think he was pushing on old tires and he put his left rear wheel on the white line for the track limits, which spun it, like, broke traction a little bit. And then he didn't get off the throttle fast enough. And it just, once it starts to go, it's gone. So I do, I do think that was driver error. And by it being gone, not only do you mean that race, but it seems a championship. Because that blood-curdling scream of, no! Oof, and yeah. I didn't know Mattia Bonato was the Italian Michael Scott because the ineptitude that they've shown. But like I said, we'll tee that up later because I still need to get some of these hot, hotter takes off about that. But what else inspired you from this race? Because I think the call out that we were having before the chat was the fact that this was simultaneously one of the most boring, but also one of the most interesting races. And like, where do we want to jump if that's how we're going to describe this race going forward? I think I think we should go through the order first. Let's do that. How could we forget? We were so caught up in the ineptitude of the Ferrari squad that we didn't even do our normal recapping of the results for anybody that didn't watch the race. So I'll go ahead and do that. Up first, we have Thanos himself, Max Verstappen, with the inevitable first place. Then Lewis Hamilton and George Russell once again going back to back like Riggs and Murtaugh. Fourth was Sergio Perez, which I feel has kind of been overshadowed how inept he was. Carlos Sainz seemed to have the weight of the world on his shoulders, yet he still managed to get in fifth. Fernando Alonso was in sixth. Lando Norris in seventh. Esteban Ocon in eighth, getting points in his home race for the very first time in his career, followed by Daniel Ricciardo in the top ten. And Lance Stroll, a.k.a. the last Stroll, closing out the points. Then, in the back half of the race, we have Sebastian Vettel in 11th, Pierre Gasly in 12th, Alex Albon in 13th, Valtteri Bottas in 14th, Mick Schumacher in 15th, Guan Yu Zhou in 16th, Nicholas Latifi, the first of the DNFs, followed by Kevin Magnuson, Charles Leclerc, and Yuki Tsunoda. It's almost shocking off the bat, like, how many people DNF'd. It didn't feel like that many, but I guess it was so spread out over the race that... Um, actually forgot K-Mag DNF'd. That's, that's rough. Yeah, I forgot that too. I mean, it was kind of interesting because they had the one-stop strategy from the get-go, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that was, like, the talking point kind of of the race. was, like, how how is this pit strategy going to work, right? Um, And (laughs) Gunther was on the 
the broadcast basically like yeah one stop you know like no uh you know no no sly words the way you would get from christian horner or toto right like gunther's just like here's our strategy hey guys this is what we're gonna do <laughs> i'm just like okay cool but then you know yellow well virtual safety car and all that stuff just basically threw that strategy out the window right not, not to say that haas was even up to speed this weekend but I think they were fine. I think Mick is continuing to prove himself to be a decent professional race car driver. K-Mag is now, I think, regressing a little bit because he started off the season in quite the flurry. But Gunther Steiner always kind of conveys this energy of nervous dad who's asked to watch his child for the very first time. So he's like, yeah, let's try this. Let's try my shirt as a diaper because we're all out. And you know, how do we make whites? Let's get some toilet paper, soak that with water and go from there. Like that's the energy I always get from Gunter. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let you, Todd. You should run with it a little bit because I just want to jump back on the Ferrari. Yes. Okay. Before we jump on right the Ferrari <laughs> thing, this is one thing that's been sticking with me all weekend, because like the absolute. L of the weekend I feel goes to Alpha AlphaTauri because they brought an entirely new car essentially like updates all over the car and somehow it was worse to drive and slower somehow Yuki managed to drive the hell out of that thing all weekend and was on for a really good race until Ratatouille Esteban Ocon punted him off the track and my immediate thought is and this is getting into like a much bigger question than just this race but if you punt somebody off the track and it's deemed your fault and it ruins that other person's race essentially they're starting from the back Esteban Ocon still finished P8 and he ruins Yuki's race and, and he retired because of it like if I feel like the because of the pace disparity between cars that a five second penalty at, in this day and age isn't enough. Like how many, how many times do you see other than maybe like the top, top end of the midfield, how many times do you see cars finishing within five seconds of each other? Like even when it's like a close battle for P1, P2, it's like seven, six seconds generally, yeah. right? Like there's the odd race here and there, but I don't know that getting all over the place here. But do you do you guys feel that that penalty was justified? And then bigger question: Do you think that there should be an increase in the minimum penalty that they can give? I mean, I know that's a really big question. And there's it a is lot a, it is a big question because there's a lot of implications that come from it, right? I think in theory, yes, like. If somebody ruins another person's race, there should be a pretty heavy penalty there. But there's also like, you know, there's also like the, the question of like, how much is this going to take away from the aggressiveness that we love to see, right? Max and, and Charles, Max and Lewis, like those types of things, if... It changes the way you have to strategically race. If to your point about Max being situated to win win the entire season, 
championship if he wins the next race and, you know, kind of just mails it in from there. If he's racing competitively with somebody that's close to him and that person can flip, you know, like a situation, let's say a situation like Charles and, and Max this weekend, right? Where Charles's DNFs has zero points. Max gets 25. That a contrast in that, in my opinion, is so is so drastic that you would have you would also almost encourage other team members to take the fall the same way we have second drivers now. Like if Checo's not going to win a championship and Red Bull's far enough in front to win the, the constructors, why wouldn't he just accidentally clip whoever the closest competitor is if necessary? I'm not saying that like he's evil and he's going to do that, but I'm saying numerically. And financially, because these guys make a ton of money when they win, there's there's some, you, you know, there's some some things that might come from that that we wouldn't expect, in my opinion. Yeah, I do agree with Nick on some extent, but I also think it has to be a case by case basis, similar to how we see instigators in hockey or in the NFL, where look, racing happens. There's a danger element to the sport that we all like. And yes, I'm an Esteban Ocon fan, but my thought is this. If this is an isolated incident, I'm okay with the five second. But if there's a repeated pattern or behavior, I do think that the subsequent one should be a five second penalty and then a five position grid penalty at the next race. Because then you are kind of proving yourself to be a racing goon in a sense. And we don't want that. We want to see the machinery do the work and not the human. But it's also in the sense that any sort of rule that would come about like this wouldn't take place, I'm assuming, until the next rule change. Or would we see that drastic of a rule be implemented in between one season and a second? No, I don't think they would do a rule change there. I just think it's something that needs to be looked at because uh, if you can clip somebody off and uh, and then still... Essentially, there was no penalty. He had a five-second penalty, which he served at the pit stop. But uh, it, 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 and you're still able able to recover to P8. It, granted, I guess the pace of the car made that different. It just doesn't feel like it's enough now. Maybe there, it needs to be looked at. Maybe they need to increase it a couple seconds or double it or, or something. I do like the idea of like habitual offenders getting, like if you run somebody off and then do it again in a few laps or whatever, then th th maybe the second penalty is 10 seconds or something like that. Or even a race, right? I think the NBA yeah. has done something with regards to the technical foul set. You can accumulate X amount and then every subsequent one you get a sub suspension. I'm not sure how it officially works. I'll have to look that up and I'll do the Mia Culpa next episode. But my thought is this. We're at the halfway point of the season. Start the counter brand new when we come back from summer break. But if I'm, let's say, Esteban Ocon, I've knocked three people out in three races. They don't even have to be consecutive. Just three races over the first half of the season. I should be properly vilified for that because ultimately it's not only taking out people, but then there's always the possibility of somebody getting hurt because of that. Because if you continually do that, I think it becomes a, strip, a slippery slope of you being reckless. And if there's one thing this sport doesn't need, it's that type of reckless goon behavior because these guys are moving pretty fast on their own. And as we've seen with some of the possible crashes this year, it could be fatal if left to somebody else's devices, let alone their own. 
I mean, I think the other interesting thing, and I, I just go back to like Silverstone last year, right? Lewis clips Max, Max goes off. You leave it up to the FIA to decide. Like, to me, it's like they're deciding too much at that point, right? It's already up to them, like, who whose fault it was. But if there's repercussions from a specific incident, you know, I think that, I think that the, the failsafe does exist, right? Like the, you know, a, a Formula One, you have to have a super license to race Formula One. You have 12 points, up to 12 points before action is taken on you, kind of like the NBA's flagrant fouls. But like those points are based on the FIA saying you did something unsafe for other drivers, essentially, right? And they don't necessarily affect your they, like they never will affect your race season essentially unless you unless you list straight up go out there and run people into the wall every race right and even then you can still probably get away with it for 15 races before you have to be punished for whatever however punishment they deliver or whatever but i i just don't think that there's a, a better solution for it i i don't know that i like the idea of having a little bit harsher penalties when when you know when you like cause somebody to, to miss out on the opportunity to race. But at the same time, these cars are so like, it takes nothing to get them squirrely and off the track, right? Like, you know, it takes almost nothing to, to have a front wing break off and cause a puncture, right? Like we see this kind of stuff all the time. And I, I don't know that, you know, sometimes it feels really obvious that like Ocon should have been penalized a little bit more for that. But like, I think once you go down that path of like calculating them all out, you probably have less than we, than we would think. Right. Because one in the moment, yes, everybody's all up in arms and like, we never want to see our favorite drivers get pushed off the track. We never want to see our favorite drivers penalized either. But at the same time, kind of like you said about, about, um, about Leclerc, right? Like coming or the signs even coming back, like afterwards, like once you've had that time to like get away from the race, you've thought it through, it's much different. So if the, if it happens in the moment, I think even FIA as, you know, pure racing enthusiasts and unbiased as they could possibly be, they're fucking humans. They're going to make mistakes and they're going to be emotionally making those decisions. So like they all have favorites. They're not, they're not supposed to be biased, but inherently humans are going to be biased towards other people just because it's part of our experience, right? Like we have things that shape our beliefs and our positions on so many of these things, regardless of what happens in the moment, we just lean to what, what we believe in. And I think we would have that same issue with, with the FIA, which, you know, for me and the people that I like to watch race would probably be beneficial to be honest, but I don't want to go down that path either. <laughs> Todd, if I can ask a clarifying question of you, what did you make of the unsafe release that Carlos Sainz had in the pit? Would that be considered worthy of the five-second penalty the same way that we just talked about Esteban Ocon and Yuki? Because that right there could have been a lot more fatal. And I'm not just even talking about uh, Carlos. I'm talking about Alex Albon. I'm talking about the unnamed McLaren engineer who could have very much lost his life. Like, would you classify that in the same genre or would that be something that would not be eligible for this sort of thing? No, I think that was, I mean, if on face value is potentially more dangerous, right? Cause there's not, 
like there's a bunch of people that are not encased in a carbon fiber shell divine designed for safety like but it i would say that like a unsafe release in in that sense not to demean the mclaren mechanics life is probably a less egregious race offense because the the that can happen for a number of reasons uh like slow jackman the uh slow tire gun guy whatever and then the guy that has the sensor that releases the car and all that stuff like they there's so many pieces that go into a pit stop i don't won't get into it now but um that has like a like a cascading effect of things that can go wrong uh as far as a race to or like car to car penalty that is more in control i feel like uh it's solely the driver right there right uh like for the most part so i feel like that could be a bigger penalty as far as a race because they're in supposed total control of the car and if they're making a dive bomb like we saw george kind of get away with one too and my question wasn't my initial question question made it and you guys' subsequent responses kind of sounded like it was I was saying like Ocon's racing dirty or whatever. It just happened it, to flash in my head this week in that question um, when when that incident occurred. And it felt at, in that moment that that penalty wasn't an, enough to justify like the, the crime there. No, and I, I think actually too- liked how you phrased that question because I think it allowed us to actually have some professional discourse. And as a podcast that is close to venture off the rails at any given moment, it gave us a little bit of credibility because – yeah, this was a goofy race and I can't wait to get goofy about it, but there is a seriousness associated with this race because even the George Russell incident, if we want to call it that, where he kept complaining about the fact that I think it was a Checo Perez who was in front of him and he kept saying, oh, he's not letting me pass. He's not letting me pass. And we had Daddy Toto get on the mic and just say, hunt him down because that's the first moment where I felt that Toto Wolf has actually channeled his inner black, t- uh, black turtleneck wearing sign-off from last year's Drive to Survive. I mean, I think I think the interesting thing to go back to the the penalties, right? Comparing those two penalties from a racing perspective, Ocon definitely deserved more of a penalty than Science got. Like, yes, it was very close in the pits, and you know, was it the Tifi or Albon behind him had the slam on the brakes? You know, that is like dangerous, right? It's a you know, but nothing bad happened from it. I guess. And I think it's hard to have that kind of thought process around penalties or, or whatever, you know, without having that, like, well, did you die though? You know, kind of moment. Um, so I think the other thing that's really interesting about that and Todd, you kind of touched on it, but just to go a little bit further on it, if it's really about like the drivers and them being in control of the cars, then I don't think anything that has to do with the pit crew or the engineers should, should be penalized at all. Like, I just think like if we're if we're trying to create racing where we see these drivers race against each other, I, I know that it's a team sport and I know that the engineers and the and, you know, the, the strategies and the, the pit crew are all very important. But like in that instance where where Carlos is being let out, it's not on him. He can't he doesn't know who's coming down. the You know, it's like he's not responsible for looking behind. That's what his team is supposed to do to get him ready to get back on the track. So it's hard to for me to to think about that particular situation as a more of a penalty 
than something where like you know not to pick on Ocon or say that it was dirty or anything but like literally it's him versus yuki you know like th- there's nobody else that made that poor decision in in that situation man that's i'm saying increase penalties and you're saying just get rid of the pit lane penalties altogether that's Robin is racing, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, but they have to, like, because the pit stops are such an integral part of of the race, there has to be, like, speeding in the pit lane. Yeah. uh, You know, unsafe release, all that stuff. It needs to be penalized because, or they they need to have that fear of a penalty. And I think out of all the penalties that happen in a race, the team as a collective fears the pit stop mishaps the most because then the drivers. Yeah, they're kind of divas, let's be honest. They're just like, oh, you know, my. It, somehow they never say, like, my team let me down today, although both the Ferrari drivers should. Um, they, it, it, You have to have penalties there, like, it, because they are part of the race, the mechanic of the race. They, they need to, you know, have laws that they abound, abide by. I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm more playing devil's advocate in that. I think that I think just from a from a, you know, driver perspective right it it would it's already hard enough to get to get to be surrounded by a great group of individuals that work together as a team and put up a championship team to like have if the if they were to have any more penalties or heavier penalties for some of that stuff that happens i think it it just become less enjoyable as a as a fan more than like when it's when we're watching and we see a driver make a mistake we see the driver make the mistake where when we're watching and we see you know, 3.6 seconds on a pit stop and think, what the hell? That's 1.3 seconds, guys. What are you doing? You know, it's like, to me, like I would say as fans, we're probably more likely to like prejudge the people we don't, we don't, we can't put faces on, you know, like we know the drivers, we know they're all divas. We know that the difference between a 2.3 second stop and a 3.6 second stop is sometimes the difference in a championship, you know? But like to, to uh, you know, kind of going back to our conversation last week where like we have we talked about like the, the orange army and, and the lack of kind of just respect for humanity that, that pops up sometimes in, in sports. And I think that's I think that's partially because we just don't we don't see, you know, people at, we we're in our emotions and we see people as like, you know. I guess kind of punching bags that we don't have to deal with, especially with the internet, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I make this analogy at work all the time. I have a very large IT staff that I'm relying on to get a lot of my reporting and all of my work functions done. And because they're not in the same building as me, hell, they're not even in the same continent as me. I have this tendency to dehumanize them, even though they are, in fact, human beings that have their own fears, aspirations, families that they have to get to. So, it is interesting that you make that comparison to the support staff because we don't know how they mess up until they mess up. And then on the surface level, it looks like the easiest thing in the world to us. Like I'll use the example that I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later, but when Carlos Sainz was trying to take overtake Checo and the team comes on the team radio and it's like, Hey Carlos, like, could you box right now? That is a pretty big mess up. And I don't care who you are. Like that speaks for itself. But compare and contrast that with a simple pit stop botch where 
a nut in a tire doesn't get synced up as quickly as it needs to. There is a bit of frustration there, but I feel a greater deal of empathy because they are that nameless, faceless mob that sometimes are the reason why a Lewis Hamilton will win eight championships in a row as opposed to seven. So I was going to ask you, Todd, about that, uh, that whole Carlos and Checo situation. Is it just that we were, is this just a situation where you're, you know, hatred towards F1 coverage is the, the blame or were they really, was that actually happening in the middle of him in the battle with, with Checo? Like, did they really wait, wait. say to pit? Cause yeah. I saw, but, but like, is that just shitty coverage where we're seeing it? There's some sort of delay and like it came across as they were saying that right in the middle of him battling or was that actually, cause like, no, if, no, if no, it was okay. actually in the middle of their battling, then the engineers were not even watching the race, right? <laughs> no. Okay, so you're you're talking about the actual radio message was like came on screen or on broadcast like right when that crazy pass that he did was happening. Yeah. So no, that that's not when they called it in. Those messages that come on the broadcast are delayed by, okay, you know, fifteen thirty seconds sometimes. It but. felt like it was in the moment because you could literally see <laughs> that man squirm and what are you guys doing? Like yeah, we've all that's been what there. I thought too. Yeah. No, I think former Formula One drivers are super talented, but his response while he's going around the outside of whatever it was, turn thirteen or something, is that no, nobody's gonna like have the wherewithal to talk through that while he's making that pass. But um, no, that that they called for that. Uh, it's, I think maybe when he was going down the, the second, second part of the back straight so that you have a little bit time to breathe. And then it finally came on broadcast. But like the, the funniest part to me about that was that he ignored them and Which said, no, nope, I'm getting this pass done. But then like, if you're going to ignore him that lap and you just got track position, ignore him again. Take destiny into your own hands. That's what so I was This is where I'll yeah. refute that because he's been doing this all season. He's not been listening to them. The strat, the team radio is merely a suggestion for young Carlos. And I almost think this. He purposely listened to them because he wanted to showcase to them how inept they are. Because that's the only justification I could give it to him actually giving into those strategy. And I use that term as loosely as possible. Suggestions from his team. Because... It was a contradictory hot mess. At one point, they were telling him to pit when he was saying, no, I have to keep going. Then they did the opposite where they're like, keep going. And he goes, no, I need to pit now. And yes, there is a bit of a tire window issue because he was out on the mediums where everybody else, I believe, had transitioned to hards. So yes, I will blame him for that sort of bungling. But he has shown that he is essentially Ferrari's chief strategist because he doesn't let them ruin his races the way they have for Charles. I mean, I did think that was really kind of crazy because the other thing that I was thinking about the entire time I was watching that is if he stays out, I forget how many laps were left when he made that change, but let's say 15, right? Tops, maybe even less. I think like 10, maybe. 10. So like at that moment, why wouldn't you go and maybe he did, but like, why wouldn't you go like a touch further? Give yourself a little bit of breathing room if you can, because clearly like you're not listening to team orders. And then like, did he switch to softs or did he go with another set of mediums? 
I think he actually did go to another set of mediums because that may have been all they had left. Uh, because they, they I, still I, got fast. I can't confirm slap, that. But I just he thought, did. like, if you only have six, eight, ten laps, whatever it was, left, I, it doesn't seem like you, it seems like you would want to be on softs and try to make up as much of that, that you, this, the placing, the placement that you gave up from taking the pit stop to begin with, right? And he was kind of getting called into question his actions by the commentary team because they were also initially befuddled by, what is he doing? Like, why is he out? right now he should be pitting in he should try to save his race but i also think similar to the point that was made in the broadcast these guys are wired differently we had called them out as divas as a broad generality for all div- uh, for all the drivers but then at the same time he's looking at it from the perspective of his number one driver did not finish the race i have to try to salvage as many points as i can so maybe it's one of those things where he feels like he's literally taking on everyone on this earth as he's racing and i will say this in a previous episode, we kind of questioned his mental bona fides in a sense because we didn't think he had that inherent dog in him, as the kids like to say nowadays. But my man came back from 20th, got all the way up to third, decided to have probably as risky of a pit stop as you can have, and then still fought his way back from ninth to a respectable fifth. That is a but, mega drive, in in my opinion. So this is where my head goes with that. And he did explain, I guess, the strategy. They were worried about the the life of the tire, it falling off, and him losing three, four positions anyway. However, they had the data from from that race of everybody's lap charts and tire stints. Like Pierre Gasly was at similar was on similar mileage on his mediums at that point in the race, and he was still doing whatever you quote unquote competitive times they had everybody else that had already been on the mediums. They could have checked the lap charts for that and see what their tire Delta should have been. They have like literally AI programs that compute all this crap for them anyway. So like they should have had the data to say, you know what? Let's gamble because he was in third at that point. He didn't look like he was, I mean, he had enough tire to pass Checo on that crazy outside move that I just talked about. So let him run long. He could end up on the podium here. And that's exactly to your point, row. Like let's try to salvage as many points as we can instead of let's play it safe and, you know, put him back in ninth and then see how far back up we can get. Cause the t- he had a five second penalty from the unsafe, for, right. unsafe release. Uh, and the pit lane to pit lane thing was like 32 second time loss. I think I want to mm-hmm. say, that's what they were calling correctly. Yep. So that's 37 seconds that you have to make up by pitting. Even if you do lose those two positions and end up in fifth anyway, you you know, the, the gamble's worth it there for me because I think the tires were lasting longer than everybody projected. And you want you you need those points in the constructors. I'm sure Carlos would have wanted a race. We we could be totally talking about this to play devil's advocates myself. If he blew a tire and DNF'd because he didn't pit, like we could be talking about this a different way, but I'd still be probably on the side of, on Ferrari's side in that point, trying to salvage whatever points they can get. Yeah, I I think that, I mean, I understand it, but I also just don't agree with it, I guess. 
what do you partially because with, it's Nick? Ferrari yeah, and explain it's like, it to me what I don't agree with yeah I mean I just feel like I just feel like he could have pushed it further you know like to Todd's point though like it's it's possible that he would have you know blown a tire and we'd be talking about this on the exact opposite side of it if if he had done that um but I don't know. It's it's really interesting to think about, like, you know, going against the team orders, and then, like, kind of being like, oh, I should go. I should probably listen. You know, it's like, it seems like if you're gonna go against team orders, I think you said it, Ro. It's like if you're gonna go against team orders. Just go against team orders. You know, you're in the car, drive the fucking car. You know, do whatever you want in it. It's you know, not that not that I think that's the best way to approach it all the time, but. I mean, Ferrari's giving you, you plenty Ferrari. of reasons to doubt it. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you drive for Ferrari, it's, yeah, maybe you do that more often than not. I mean, they truly are the gift that keeps on giving, in a sense, because for new fans like me, they're putting on a masterclass on what not to do as a Formula One team. And I love the analogy that you gave, Todd, during our pre-race, or pre-race, pre-pod discussion, and I'll give you the hopefully the proper platform to share the chicken and egg idea, because I think that's as fascinating of a question as we've ever generated on the show. So, yeah, uh, it was a lot of... It, this race and the results of it got me thinking uh, like a very chicken and egg question, like Ro said. And it's what's more important to have. And I'd love for our community to uh, to leave responses in the Discord or leave a review with, with your answer to this. Um, what's more important, uh, consistent drivers or a consistent car or like reliable cars? So, reli- yeah, reliable drivers, reliable I'm going to lump car and team together there. So that includes, you know, strategy, pit execution, et cetera. What's more important there? Because, bro, I think you answered immediately. Like you'd rather have the reliable drivers because that's the only thing giving you a chance in this point. Um, And if just to back up that opinion, uh, we have, and I'm not going to say like, I told you also, but like Mercedes is definitely going to overtake Ferrari and the constructors this year because Ferrari can't. Ferrari's going to Ferrari. Um, and they have consistent, like the package isn't there, but the drivers have been far more consistent. Uh, and the, the, the team, I guess the team's also been consistent, but what do you guys think? What's more important? Consistent drivers or a consistent team? And I'm including car in that. I probably go with driver. I mean, I say that hesitating, hesitating, hesitantly, hesitantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the last thing I would want is a driver who is content with a sixth place finish every week. Like that is, that is like my, arch nemesis in life is people that are just like, I'm good with this and I'm never going to push to be more than that. And I get that people are wired differently, but like, if you're talking about formula one, you should be out there. Like if you're capable of driving as good or close to as good as the top 20 drivers in the world, 
You better be standing out there saying you're the best fucking driver on the planet every goddamn day, as far as I'm concerned. Because, like, you're never going to get better than 20th if you're up there like, meh, nah, eh, I'm okay. Like, it just, like, I need the fire, right? Like, so, I think, like, the, the perfect example for me right now is, like, George Russell. Like, he's been super consistent, but... At the same time, is it him or is it the car that's not there, right? Like, I think we would agree that this year it's the car. But if he's not on top and winning a championship in the next couple of years, then people are going to, like myself, are going to start to wonder, like, well, maybe it's George. Maybe it's not the car. Maybe it's, you know, maybe maybe the car is actually better. Lewis is getting up there in age and he's not think he's thinking about retirement. That's been the conversation, you know, like he and Toto have talked about it. So now he's, he's kind of off from his like, you know, focal point of like, I'm just out here to win, you know, number seven, number seven, number eight. Um, and I think that's an interesting like battle that you have to deal with. Right. And I think that's also why you see drivers like Danny Rick who has been like very competitive for years. And then all of a sudden he falls off and well, the team can't possibly hold on to these drivers because if they're not at the top of their game, you know, like you want, you know, diva arrogance, whatever you want to call it, you need that because they are at the top of their sport and everybody else is at the top of the sport too. So they have to be super competitive and super driven, even when they're, you know, 12th on the grid or whatever, because if they're not trying to push forward, I think that's like the beauty of Alonzo and why he could probably race another 10 years is because he just is fiery. He's out there to beat you. Even if he knows that his car is not capable of beating you, like he thinks he can beat you just based on his skill alone. And sometimes, sometimes that's true. So, you know, I, I it's, that's a really great question though. And I would love to hear people's responses on that. Cause I, I think that, you could go back and forth on it for a long time, in my opinion. It's it's like really, really interesting to think about. What do you think, Ro? No, I was going to say this. First on the Fernand, uh, this weekend, Fernando Alonso teaches us all driving strategy. Did you hear my man just say, no, I got this. I'm just going to hold them back and burn their tires down the way that he did? Like, I want I like, want them close to me. I want to kill their tires. Yeah. yeah. Just like, what? That's Why don't you ask Fernando right Alonso that question? And I wonder what he's going to say. But I will also look at it from the perspective of if I'm a team that has mid-table or midfield aspirations, give me a team that is a little bit better than my actual drivers. Because if my strategy is to prolong my shelf life for another season, I think that's a safer route to go. But most top teams are not there for prolonging shelf life. They think they're immortal, like Nick has said, probably what Todd would also say. And that's why the drivers are the great equalizer. It's much like a hockey goalie carrying a team through multiple rounds in the NHL playoffs. He can take that game and flip it on its head with just his own individual effort and take that car and take that team to a brand new level. We've seen all of our favorite drivers do it to some extent, especially this season. And I don't understand how a better strategy or a better car can help you. Maybe if you want to say that, hey, look at the last seven years of how Lewis won his title because it was essentially the car that was so significantly better than everyone around it that even though Lewis was a master driver, we really couldn't blur those lines. But that being said, give me the better driver. It just makes more sense. And not only that, 
why do we watch sports? We watch sports to have fun. We watch sports for their ability to risk it all and not feel the ramifications that we would if we ever tried to risk it all in our day to days. So drivers for me. Well, thanks for answering the question so well, both of you, that now we won't get the re- responses. That's no. a challenge to you listeners. Ch- challenge. Uh, <laughs> also, thanks for making me relive, relive my hockey playoff pain this year by reminding me that our goalie carried us through the playoffs and then just couldn't couldn't carry us any further. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I would agree with both of you. Um, and, and bro, I'm gl- glad you brought up, uh, or I can't remember who, which one of you did, but the La- uh, Lando, or Daniel Ricardo, Lando, McLaren uh, aspect, because, like, that, we know that the car is not very good, the team hasn't been great, but Lando is getting the absolute maximum out of that package and is the only reason, really, that, that, uh, that McLaren's even, you know quote-unquote battling for fourth even though they're not in fourth anymore um if i could ask this one question who has the best strategy in all of the formula one teams basically we know that if somebody asks us who's the best driver in the grid today we all have our answers but we can all kind of showcase proof of it how do you quantify that with strategy because if you can articulate that then you're on that next level of fandom because I think it's a watch. I think it's very hard to quantify which team has the best strategy. You could maybe look at it from a pit stop component and say, well, you know, Red Bull historically has the best pit stops or Alpine has the best strategy in terms of undercutting. But then it also kind of ties back to the strength of a driver. Fernando Alonso is here to kill tires and chew bubblegum, and he was all out of bubblegum in France. (laughs) I mean, you could have the best strategy in the world, but there is just certain tribal knowledge that a driver possesses that can eat up that strategy in a heartbeat because they've just been around the block 3000 times or whatever the new lap record Fernando Alonso set. I mean, I, I think that it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to answer that question mainly because in theory, we would be saying that Red Bull has a greatest strategy because they are by far the most dominant team out there. Right. But I would actually probably, and Aaron's going to, hate me for this, but I would actually probably say that it's Mercedes, right? Because they have one of the most challenged and least capable cars of the top four or five teams. Not that it's a terrible car by any means, right? Like it's still like capable, but the fact that they've been able to stay so close with so much porpoising, so many issues, just like, you know, to me that speaks to the team itself. Like, I think Red Bull is great when they are in front. Like I, I would love to see like actual statistics around it. But like when Max is like leading a race, it's almost guaranteed he's gonna win that race. Like there are very few times where he doesn't win when he's like in front, right? Where I think there's you know with with Mercedes, there's a little bit more like okay, like cat and mousing you know, that whole process, we saw a lot of it last year, right? Like, you know, there's the undercuts and all that stuff that, that happens, but you also don't see the full capabilities of a team as, as far as strategy goes when the team is so dominant, right? Like all they got to do is get out there, get out in front in in the first, you know, 10 to 15 laps and run away with it. Right. Like that's basically the Red Bull strategy right now, which is a great winning strategy. But I think that, you know, 
I don't think of, you mentioned pit stops and I don't think of pit stops as, as a part of that conversation because, you know, the reality is like every team on the grid can probably hit a three second pit stop on a great day. Right. And that's a huge challenge to do while you're out there racing, but a couple of seconds difference doesn't necessarily mean as much as like, you know, like looking at Haas from this, this race, right? One stop, one, one pit stop strategy and sticking with it through the virtual safety cars is like, all right, you know, uh, I, I brought my grandma's Oldsmobile and God damn it. We are finishing in my grandma's Oldsmobile. Like that's the mentality of it. Right. Where like, if you have that flexibility and again, this is like, it's not like it's a guessing game for these guys, right? Everything has been calculated out. Like everything that changes throughout the race is then calculated again. So if their original calculations were, we're going to run 20 laps on this, 20 laps on this and 15 laps on this tire wise. And then something happens. They don't just say, cool, we're going 20, 20 and 15. They go, Oh, this should happen at 17. Now we're going to restart from here. And this is what we've got to do with what we have left to, 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 you know, race with and i think those things kind of get lost in the in the overall grandiose aspect of what the sport is because we don't get to see those decisions or those talking points very often todd i hate to do this to you once again but damn it talking on (laughs) mute um um, that was a great joke too i was saying it's like the ferraris (laughs) teaching us the abcs every week for plan e plan d um yeah i i'm gonna have to agree that i would say historically strategy wise and i would disagree with nick that pit stops are a part of it because it's not necessarily just how you pit it's when you pit and uh yeah i would say historically it's mercedes um although it's easy to say that and kind of to what Nick just said is like, if you're leading the race, you get to dictate the pit strategy for the most part. Um, unless you have a situation like, I guess you can kind of dictate it from the back. If you have a situation where it's one Ferrari versus two Red Bulls at the start of a race. Um, but Hamilton neutralized that pretty quickly. Uh, I, th- I think it's, like you said, hard to quantify. Uh, but I, I would say just off a of gut feeling that Mercedes has, that we have kind of proof on that, that like they've outsmarted Red Bull when Red Bull was trying, it was like starting to creep up on them pace wise in 2020 and 2021 Mercedes won a few of those races based on their strategy decisions. So they just thought, what is Ferrari going to do? Let's not do that. Yeah. And I, and I I'm I was meaning like with pit stops just to clarify so people don't think I'm a total idiot. I, I definitely was not talking about like when people pit. It was more like the timing of the pit stops, right? Like because that's what's presented. It, it, you know, if you're new to the sport of racing, like you're seeing like these numbers and you're like, oh, 2.3 seconds, Red Bull, they're the fastest, right? Like they are the the best pit crew in the game right now. Like hands down, like nobody comes near them week after week. Race after race, they are the top. But like, you know, a three to four second pit stop is not great, but it's not a game changing, you know, like season altering event where like 
the choice to pit, I would say, falls under strategy. It's it's you know, I'm not talking about the physical timing and the action of the pit stop itself by the crew. It's more like the strategy and the engineers that are deciding these pit stops that are like the you know kind of key decision maker in those processes because you could easily mess up an entire championship season like Ferrari has pretty much done this year by not having a strategy or maybe they do. And, you know, maybe they just, we just don't understand it all, but I think that, yeah, it's uh, I, I just want one of our talented explode. listeners to go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying plan E explode. Uh, so that was a meme <laughs> from a couple of races. Yes. So, yeah, yeah apparently Toto Wolf has joined Ferrari while we've been going through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's funny you mention uh, something, Nick, where it's I always use the analogy of a peacetime president versus a wartime president. Max Verstappen is, in spite of his aggressiveness, a great peacetime president, because to your point, we've never seen him blow a lead once he gets it. And ironically, Charles Leclerc seems to be the opposite, where he does the hard things easy and the easy things hard. So just don't let that man uh, get pole position, because inevitably it's going to end up in heartbreak for all of us that are supporting that team. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, you know, especially because, like, look, it's kind of like we go back to last year, right? If you've listened to the podcast long enough, you heard us talk about the, the end of last season, the pressure at the end of last season although it came down to the last race and it's Red Bull versus Mercedes and it's Max versus Lewis, the pressure is on Lewis. Like Max, Max just has to finish the race and ahead of, of Lewis and not mess up. Actually, he didn't even have to finish the race ahead of Lewis. Right. So like, as long as he didn't, as long as he didn't DNF, he would, he would win essentially is how it broke down. Right. Something like that. And it's like, when you're in that position, you've got nothing to lose. Like you, you wait for the other team to make a mistake. And that's where Red Bull is at right now. Like they've earned that. I don't think that they necessarily have had the best strategy, but I think that they're because they're putting the best car out and the best driver, possibly the best two drivers at this point, they've earned the right to not have to, to like be the decision maker and dictate the strategy for most of the teams on the grid. That's a great point, Nick. Uh, I was going to finish. I was going to wrap up here before we go to the fancy update. I saw a crazy stat that uh, now with pole and then the loss this weekend, Max uh, Max has 27 wins and 18 poles or something like that. And Leclerc has 18 poles and five wins. I know that Max has been on the grid a lot longer, but like it was just a staggering amount of like for him to have that many poles and not that nearly as many as many wins just is is uh, that it hurts i'm not even a little clear fan necessarily but damn that's yeah. rough. although i have to say the best social media post of the weekend has to go to lando norris because between he and max verstappen there's 27 wins between them so <laughs> take it where you I can mean, get it's it it's like that great stat when kobe scored 81 you combine his point total with one Kwame Brown, they scored, I believe, 84 points. So good job, Kwame. <laughs> and now Max is tied with Jackie Stewart for all-time wins, and he's Which eighth. Is crazy. 
Like, I don't think we give like maybe we have a distaste for Max, but we've mentioned a few times on this podcast. However, give the man his flowers because he's already and he still feels like such a young gun or whatever, whatever you want to say in the sport. But he's tied for eight all time wins in all of F1 history, which is crazy. I refuse to give that man flowers because if he does this right by the end of it, they're going to name entire gardens after him because he's just making this look easy. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in for a long, like, like I just said, he's young. So we're in for a long history of this. The orange dynasty is about to take place. (laughs) And as you can see, my co-hosts have already adopted that into their personal wardrobes. So thank you, gentlemen. I we're not going to do rock and a cop in a day, but I wore black and orange <laughs> to compensate for the shoe that I picked up today. So, ooh, might have to might have to join the Discord and uh, see what shoe Todd say, picked up. What better way to plug the Discord <laughs> than try to figure out what Todd is going to drop in the "What did you wear today?" channel of our Discord? <laughs> All right, you guys ready for some fantasy? Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. All right, we're going to start with. The Voldemort League. Um, I, I, we had some like pretty, pretty drastic swings in points. Uh, like, bro, you had eight hundred and seven points, and the person ahead of you for the week, or like he's ahead of you in the league, had eighty-seven points. So, pretty, pretty crazy swing. Oh. Um, but the top three for the week were uh, myself with 938 points. Uh, uh, Julie consistently being good here um, it, with 855 points and A.A. Ron in third with 832 points. I'm still currently actually it's also that order for the league standings. So Julie Wood is good. Julie Wood is good. And while I get signed in here. Uh, to the official F1 Fantasy League. Ro, why don't you give me a five-second review of Lance Stroll's race? Listen, man. That man is breaking barriers. He is in the points. He's Canadian. He's rich. Really, he's God's gift to racing as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) And, you know, as a proud father, I get excited when my daughter rolls over or she takes a couple steps when I'm holding her hands. I'm sure that is a microcosm of the proud feeling that Lawrence Stroll is feeling because his son actually proved to be competent this week. And not only that, he held points away from arguably all of our second favorite drivers, Sebastian Vettel. So kudos to you, Lance. Good job, buddy. Like Todd mentioned, you have a smoke show of a girlfriend, and that's why I like saying the word smoke show because I nearly don't say it enough, and it's just a fun word to say. No cap. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was a lot longer than five seconds, but I really appreciate your attention to detail. That's what I do. Um, well, we did. Did we actually ever talk about the reporter that called called him autistic during the? No, what? but I I saw something in the Formula One memes. You know what? Digress a little, Todd. Talk to us about the possible. <laughs> okay, so, so a French. Commentator, I don't. I feel like we talked about this. I don't know. I was dying when I heard this because, holy shit, the balls on that guy. A French commentator for F1 TV, I believe he might have been part of some other French broadcast, but they use his voiceover for 
for the race for F1 TV. But they were talking about Lance Stroll and he called him Le Autistique, uh, which means the autistic in French, obviously. Uh, and then the guy got fired for it. So, fun yeah, fact. I mean, Why would you we, say we that? The exhaust notes don't condone any sort of behavior like that. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to call somebody autistic, just be ready for the ramifications of said action. Seriously. I mean, I'm, I think Lance Stroll's an asshat and absolutely should not be on the grid. So it's funny to me in that aspect. But holy shit. Like, but you think that's going to fly in this day and age? People get canceled for way less. But what is French cancel culture? I must ask. Like, are they a little I, more strict with it? Are they a little more personal with it? I will say this. Asshat is only a few letters removed from autistic. So maybe there was a language barrier thing there. <laughs> I was trying to get a spit take from you, Todd, but you clearly have. You almost, you almost got me. Yes. I was uh, slightly distracted because of the points finishes this week in our F1 fantasy discord so segue back into it um in first place we have john s with gunther's dream team who used their mega drive with 175 points mega drive (laughs) we need a sound drop for that also using their mega drive in p2 we have the speeding burritos nick e with 157 (laughs) points uh and then Again, the, the new Mr. Consistency, Mario B, uh, Vroom Vroom is his team name, with 156 points, no Mega Drive. No Mega Drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. I was in eighth with 124 in row. You were in, uh, in ninth with 114. Okay. Overall season standings, I'm going to guess, Nick, you probably jumped a spot or two. Um, so in P, uh, P1, we have A.A. Ron with all Haas, no breaks. Again, uh, Mr. Mega Drive himself, Alpha Ash Auri, uh, is in P2 with 2256 and P3, uh, the Trav Pete with 2240. I'm currently still in fourth. Uh, and then we have... The Speeding Burritos up a couple of spots in 13th. And, bro, where are you? Team 1, currently in 8th. I always miss you because you need to... It doesn't a, change it to the Fighting Ocons in that one. But, yeah, I'm okay with generic-ass Team 1. Okay. Team 1. All right. And the most important league here. So... Man, if there's a Mr. Consistency in a good way, there's starting to be a Mr. Consistency in a bad way. A.A. Ron, what happened to a league that you have no control over and you just took a lucky (laughs) guess and threw darts at a dartboard? Uh, In P4, we have Aaron with 34 points, followed by uh, Roe with a respectable 51. Nick in P2 with uh, 53 points, and I lucked into P1 this week with uh, 62 points. So the overall season standings, thanks to Rohit's beautiful work sh- web sheet work, is um, in P4, uh, it's A.A. Ron. In uh, P3, we have Nick 
in P2, we have Rohit, and I have finally taken the top spot off of Ro with uh, 612. And I would have tied you, but the other Canadian on the grid, Nicholas Latifi, once again, politely shit the bed. So thank you, Nick. I hope you are enjoying life with your smoke show girlfriend. See, I'm saying it now, and I'm getting even more comfortable saying it. <laughs> oh, man. These fantasy leagues are... Uh... I don't know if they could be any more drastically different across three different fantasy leagues. I'm just hoping somebody takes our fantasy idea and implements it, and then we get some sort of royal Matisse. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That would be nice, huh? It's too bad there's not more uh, quote-unquote players, so we could have a big old league with this, but... Yeah. I mean, what is the ideal situation for this league? Do we go full uh, Formula 1 grid, get 10 of us, we each get two drivers, and then we just pick names out of a hat as opposed to doing a traditional snake-style draft? Or who knows? Something to consider. Oh, that is a fun idea. But then if you just like pick random names and you get Stroll and Latifi... Granted, they're probably not going to be here next year. But, like, you get two Williams drivers, you're going to be like, well, season's wrapped, boys. I'll see you next year. No, I I don't even think you do the drivers. I think you have one through 20, and you just pick your name. And whatever number you get, that's your pick. Because I feel that's the way to randomize it. Because... But again, you could could get P1 and P2, right? Picking order? In theory, you could. What, how is that like, different from Red Bull right now? Because they have arguably the first and probably second best driver in the world. Although, one thing we did not touch on, that was a craptastic performance by Checo. And that's really saying something. Because he's been one of those other consistent drivers. But we digress. Yeah, because we didn't I even talk like about that the, was a really... the George restart. Oh my god, how did we forget that? Talk about perfectly jumping the drag lights. Oh, my God. I was so confused at what was going on during that. Like, when the, there was... All of a sudden, there's this giant gap between them, and I was like, wait, what happened? Because then here's your fun fact for the week. When they're under virtual safety car, they have to stick to a time delta, so it's an average pace around the lap, and they have a little thing on their dashboard that will tell them they're half a second ahead of the Delta or they're half a second behind the Delta and the speed that they're supposed to be going. But somehow we got this giant gap between the two. And that was on purpose for George slowing down to give him enough room on the time Delta to totally jump Checo on that restart. That was amazing. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. George Russell is turning into the driver personification of well, actually, because if he's not complaining about Checo's movement across the track limits, it's him working every angle in the rule book to get what he needs. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Isn't he the president of the Drivers Association? And I saw somebody make the comparison that if you ever wanted to see Chris Paul as a Formula One driver, his name is George Russell. Oh, man, that's not going to sit well with me. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said it at the end of the episode because you can just yeah. fester on it for about a week, Nick. I mean, I did see this morning that Christian Horner uh said the FIA needs to investigate that situation because he believes that the two cars were given two different times. Or or Well that's what Checo was saying. Yeah. So I mean it seems like George just played the cards right and Checo was <clears throat> not fully prepared but you know obviously if if that's if there's a way that they can 
see that the cars were being given different information and I understand that, but I just feel like they got got and they are like salty about it. Yeah. Doing anything they can to distract from the fact that they just totally got taken advantage of. But I wouldn't give George the, uh, the crown as Mr. Manipulate the rules. That's still Fernando. He's got that old man wise. Like he's still like his race starts are always insane. It's like, he might as well be in the pit lane. He's so far off the damn track going around people. Um, and he yeah, always Mr. finds a way to bend the rules. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Kill the Tires. But like continuing the the George Russell fan club, that I don't know if you guys saw that trend on Twitter about George Russell is the type of guy to, and then it was just insert random like kind of dad joke type thing here. Man, Mercedes like took that and ran with it and had George Russell read a bunch of those and oh like react God. to them. And it was, it was so good. I like, I love how, how much of a good, like he's like a very classic, proper British guy in in a way and kind of nerdy in that aspect. And like you said, president of the driver's association, but he's a real good sport about kind of laughing yeah. along with the joke at his expense. No, I mean, and put it this way, if there's one person that can stop the inevitable orange dynasty, it might be that tall, lanky, goofy British driver, because I don't see anybody else kind of sticking to him. Not unless they, Mercedes gets a faster car real quick. Everyone no, was on uh, the high train. No, but I mean, I also think, and I know we're probably extending this podcast to obscene lens, but let's have this mini discussion about George Russell because I find him fascinating. He's playing with house money this year. It's going to be really interesting next year because let's say this, let's say the Todd Yates of it all happens and Mercedes is in second place or somehow they even managed to take the constructors away from Red Bull. Sorry, Aaron. That's just me kind of trolling you in the moment. What are the reasonable expectations for next year? Because I think George has proven to me that this is as great of a year as he could have had because he's done something that hasn't been that apparent to me, is which is he's been scoring points in every race. And it's not even the fact that he's getting lower end of the points. There's a top five George every single time. That has to be applauded in some way, shape, or form. I'll uh, end the episode with a hot take just like I started the episode with a hot take. If the Mercedes car is on pace, competitive, whatever you want to call it, next year, Russell wins a championship before George does. Or Russell wins a championship before Leclerc does. Ooh, I like it. I'm putting that in the official hot take section of our Google Doc. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I mean, if if Mercedes has a has a, a truly competitive car next year, though. Lewis wins the title. Hmm. Oof. See, I would just... Dis- Save it for oh, the next man. episode. We've given these guys enough. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to. we got one more race in Portimao, and uh, then we'll have to debate that ad nauseum on uh, summer break. Yeah, because I, I I could see it going the other way. I mean, the rumor mill is that Lewis is going to race to 400 races now. New contract with Mercedes. <laughs> so did you see his response, his face when they asked him that question yeah. in the post race press conference? <laughs> Both him and jo- and uh, Max were like, the fuck did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, let's let it, let's let everybody get back to their lives. 
hopefully you enjoyed this. If you did, make sure you follow us at Exhaust Notes on Exhaust Notes FM on all the platforms. Uh, leave us a review. Let us know what, what you think about George Russell, the rule changes that Todd proposed, any My of the mustache. stuff we talked about. Hot takes. We always love hot takes. And uh, yeah, make sure you connect with these guys. Guys, let them know how to find they can find you outside the show. I am TZF1 on Twitter, at uh, TZ on Instagram. I'm at Roheezy on Twitter, at RoadM13 on Instagram, in these streets with a new bushy mustache. Shout out to young Tom Selleck over here. And yeah, let us know what you think about us in the racing sense. And you can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, hit the first link in the description to join the Discord, join in on the conversation between the races. Some incredible people in there and uh, a lot of back and forth that we have a lot of fun with. So hopefully we see you in there before the next race. Thanks for listening, tuning in. Catch you on the next one. Peace.